Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices as we near the end of January already. I'm Steve Randall and coming up we talk to Gilbert Lennox-King who explains how his business is all about measuring the carbon footprint of construction projects. Embodied carbon is very big emitter. It can be up to half of the carbon associated with a project, but historically all the focus has been on energy efficiency. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. Peter Finn, Pete the Builder, is here as always. How are you doing, Pete? Hey, Steve, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. And now we're kind of well and truly into 2022. And the focus, as we discussed in our last episode, manyfold. There are lots of issues, lots of things for those in the construction industry to grapple with. And one of our big topics over the last year, and it will continue to be so for well, forever really, is sustainability and this drive towards uh, carbon net zero. It's a big one, isn't it? And I know we've got a guest today that will give us some interesting insights into uh, how we can help achieve that. Yeah, we uh, we had a fantastic event at the end of last year, Steve, where we had Vicky Kate Burrows on board and she gave us a huge insight into where we are. Um, that event, with so many contributions from so many different people, really opened our eyes up to the issues in construction where, where you know, look, it's been clearly identified that we've got 40% of the carbon emissions are coming from construction and this is an issue that that needs to be resolved and an issue that is being addressed and it's something that a lot of focus is going to be on in the year ahead starting from right now and it it has already started in terms of you know we've identified this and there is a drive towards it but i really do feel that this year going forward is going to be one of those years that really pushes this issue really into the forefront there's more people are taking action now rather than talking about it and how you take action is by measuring what you are doing on site and then seeing what you can do to adjust it so our guest later on today gilbert lennox king he has um, a company called construction carbon and basically what they do is they will come to you and they will take the information from your project and they will assess it and then they will give you a carbon result. Basically, what they'll tell you is how much carbon your project is going to generate during the, the construction of the project and then also the running carbon that your, your building will have as it is functioning. It's a very poignant issue. And obviously, if you have these results, you can make decisions then whether you want to try and reduce those figures before you start the project or during the project, you can start uh, seeing about doing it. So it's a very poignant subject and um, really looking forward to listening to to what Gilbert has to say. Yeah, because I think it's important to mention, I mean, we, we hear sort of in broader discussions about sustainability and climate change, we, we hear about the impact of buildings in general um, on um, you know greenhouse gases and things that, that they produce. Very often, uh, what's being talked about is the running of those buildings. And as you yeah. touched on, Gilbert's company does give a, an insight into how the energy rating may evolve and how how that may affect the running of the building but this is also very much about the construction process 
itself and everything that comes into that. So while things are being built, the actual carbon footprint there, and it's it's this whole thing of embodied carbon, isn't it? Maybe you could give, a, give us a quick layman's definition of what embodied carbon means. Yeah, absolutely. I won't take any offence to uh, me being the man that says things in a layman's terms because that's how I like to do it. Oh, yes. <laughs> but no, seriously, Steve, like, it's the amount of carbon that is generated during the build. So it's stuff that you probably wouldn't normally think about. It's, you know, how many trucks are you going to get to drive from point A to point B to deliver materials? And how far is point A away from point B? It's not about trying to reduce people's flair or reduce people's aesthetic architecture or anything like that. It's just about maybe having to think, is there another uh, product that could be sourced locally that is not going to have the distance to travel and therefore obviously not going to generate as much carbon on the way there's lots of other stuff the type of materials that you use as well on site each material that's used obviously has to be manufactured it has to be put into a in, into a form that can be used i am on site and to do that it's going to mean you're going to have to do a certain amount of manufacturing you're going to have to do a certain amount of development of the product you know there could be a certain amount of raw materials involved so how are those raw materials turned into the finished product so it's just really about how you think about those things, those decisions that you make early in the project or before the project can help you reduce the amount of embodied carbon that your finished product generates. That's the general way of describing what embodied carbon is when it comes to a construction project. Yeah, no, brilliantly described there. And I, I mean, I'm really interested to find, because obviously our listeners range from those who may be uh, executives in some of the biggest construction companies in the world and, you know, planning and logistics and also reporting of things like their carbon footprint are going to become more and more of an issue. But also, we've got those kind of small firms where, you know, maybe the logistics planning is not quite as sort of military grade. So, for example, I'm thinking, you know, work a builder working on a, a relatively small site. At the moment, it may be the case that, okay, we need something that we hadn't thought we needed. So we'll just jump in the van and go down to the local building merchants and pick it up. Are we going to get to a level where even that impact on a carbon footprint is going to become important, do you think? Yeah, look, again, there's, there's a long road ahead, Steve, and, you know, we, we suddenly just can't can't start telling people, no, listen, you know, you, you have to get everything delivered by a, an electronically powered truck or something like that. You know, we can't just change these things tomorrow, but just re- reconsidering or taking on other options and just maybe thinking about something rather than just doing the same thing that we do every day. It's up to everybody to be involved in this. And when I say everybody, I mean, you know, governments have to get involved and also some of the big hitters as well, the, 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 the manufacturing companies. Um, they need to be involved in this. They need to make sure that they're doing everything that they can do to reduce the carbon at their end. And then when it comes to deliveries, I think there's going to have to be a, a push towards using more carbon neutral transport methods. There's a lot involved in this and there's a, a lot of discussion and, and a lot of thought has to go into it. But I think that's the main thing. Actually thinking about it first and just creating a couple of options is actually a very good start. Because if, if you if you think about it, they're, they're sometimes there's actually quite simple things that can be done that aren't very intrusive or don't uh, take uh, a whole lot of time to think or, or, or effort to, to, to generate something that is much more carbon neutral, you know. So I think that's the start. Just people need to start thinking about it themselves and people just need to embrace the whole subject and just see what they can do. Because it's the same as anything. The collective good is, is going to be much easier than, you know, one or two warriors out there trying to do their, their, their own thing. So I, I think as as an industry, if we can look at this and if we can all make small steps at the start and then uh, generate a bit, a bit of momentum and then we will all get together 
a good result at, at the end, you know? Yeah, and I guess the, the quicker that people kind of embrace what's what's inevitable, really, and, and the new ways of doing things and new materials that are being used and new technologies, whatever it may be, the sooner that's embraced by the masses in the construction industry, the sooner, A, it happens, and that's good for the planet and good for everybody, but B, it also will help to drive down prices of some things that may start off a little bit more expensive than they currently are, because if, you, if you're if you going to a mass market, prices fall. Yeah, absolutely. Look, like anything, there's going to be a period of transition, and when you go through transition, not everybody jumps on board. People, there's a little bit of resistance, and sometimes it, it can initially cost a little bit higher i always find that that over time you know people find ways to reduce costs of of manufacturing reduce costs of everything to adapt to whatever the, the new element is and i do feel that this is going to be the same thing i think at the start there could be some additional costs that are going to have to be suffered and are going to have to be taken on board but i do think then that we will get to a point where costs will start to reduce again it's that combined effect when when everybody is working together and, and everybody is on board you, you get small gains and then the small gains um, combined will, will will reduce the cost for everybody. It's not an easy road. It's it's not something that's that's going to change overnight as, as as I've said before, but it is something that is coming. And I think it's it, again it's like it's like a lot of the stuff that we talk about here. Sooner we embrace these things and the quicker that we get ahead of them, the, the better it's going to be for everybody involved. We don't want to be preaching to people. We want people to kind of really just understand. We want just once people get to understand kind of where we're at with this, I do feel that, you, you know, people will be more likely to come on board. And I think there's going to be a lot more further education happening for people. Um, and once people can see that there is a, definitely an end result that's worth it for them, and that it's going to be something that's going to be economically viable as well. You are going to get people to come on board. There will be a certain amount of resistance until people get that bit of comfort. And I do feel then the transition will happen. And I do think it's going to start happening quickly. And the likes of what Gilbert is doing is certainly a starting point for it. It puts people in a position to be able to understand their options and to be able to understand what the effects their decisions are going to have on how the, the final result of their building is and therefore how sustainable their, their building actually is. Well, I think what's great about all of this, Pete, is that you know sometimes uh, different changes happen and they're industry-specific. This uh, whole drive towards more sustainability and lowering carbon footprints, it's, it's not an industry thing. It's a thing that's affecting every industry, every consumer, everybody. So, you know, we're all in it and we all kind of get it. And hopefully that means that explaining these changes to clients will become easier because they will understand that they need to do it too. Uh, look, Pete, it's been brilliant speaking as always. Look forward to talking to you again next time. Absolutely, Steve. Thanks very much. And uh, can't wait to hear Gilbert's piece coming up. And I'll talk to you soon, my man. Cheers, Pete. Well, let's hear from Gilbert. He's been talking to Henry McDonald. My name is Gilbert Lennox-King. I'm co-founder of a company called Construction Carbon. We're dedicated to helping anyone doing a construction project to easily calculate, reduce and offset the carbon associated with their project. How did the idea of, for the business actually come about originally? And is the service you provide unique or are you actually dealing with competitors doing the same thing? Yeah, so um, I guess the initial inception of the idea came from my co-founder, Tom Scott. He, he's a QS, and he was doing projects of, of varying sizes, mainly small projects, refurbishments of houses or new builds of houses, smaller projects, so um, flats, nothing really 
over you know five to ten million pounds sort of sort of project value and he he basically came to me about 18 months ago and said look the issue is some clients to say to him how do i calculate you know, accurately the carbon footprint of my project how do i make better choices and then how do i offset the carbon associated with the construction of, of the project and then how do i credibly communicate about that during that time uh, I was working for a company called HB Revis, which is one of the largest office developers in, in Europe. I kind of saw the similar issues from a much larger developer's standpoint, where you do have some of the very large developers doing these whole life cycle carbon assessments and publishing their results, uh, but they're all kind of doing that in-house. And so when Tom came to me and he said, look, there needs to be an independent certification system that anyone can go through that calculates in a standardized way and then basically publishes the results against some of the emerging benchmarks. I think there, there's a requirement for a system like this. I said, you know, that really resonated with me because I could see, you know, some of the challenges the very large landlords were having with, with the same issues. So, whether it be a small project or a very, very large construction project, I think everyone is grappling with the same issue. And that is embodied carbon is a very big emitter. It can be up to half of the carbon associated with a project. But historically, all the focus has been on energy efficiency. My background previous to, to this, I spent probably the last 12 years working in energy efficiency. Out in Asia, you know, with a previous business, we did big energy efficiency programs for the likes of HSBC and, and some of the big corporates out there, measuring the energy on an annual basis and, and reducing it. The problem has been that in terms of the embodied emissions associated with the construction, there's no real mechanism for, for those developers who want to reduce for you know, those achievements to be recognized. And so that's kind of was the initial reason for Tom and I starting Construction Carbon. And since then, it, I mean, initially started out as um, using the, the RICS professional statement. Um, so the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors have published their professional statement in 2017 on how to calculate whole life carbon. So we basically use that and calculate the emissions associated with the build and then credibly offset according to international standards. Um, and then it basically evolved to, well, it's got to be a lot more than that. It's got to be calculate how much carbon is associated with your build, benchmark against some of the, the benchmarks that are coming out. So the London Energy Transformation Initiative, LETI, have uh, recently published benchmarks on different types of asset in terms of upfront carbon emissions and what good looks like. I think what will happen is that in the same way that EPCs have been kind of accepted as, as, a, as a method for, for displaying energy performance, you know, without actually going into the details of EPCs, because you know, there are some issues with EPCs, but I think uh, in the same way that people publish their performance in terms of EPCs, people will in the future publish their performance in terms of embodied carbon for their projects. Gilbert, how much demand is there for your product? And have you seen a significant change in this in recent times? Yeah, so I, I think there's quite a large demand and, and a growing demand for what we are doing. That is from developers who want to be recognized for basically 
calculating, reducing, making better procurement decisions around their embodied carbon. We see that only going to increase as the prominence of LETI benchmarks become more widely known, as people become more educated. I think that information will be required from projects. And we've seen that not just from developers who want to be ahead of the pack. We've also seen that from consumers. They require a a method to know what they're buying is carbon efficient and, and whether it is net zero, how credible is that? Financiers need a mechanism to understand what they're financing and to predominantly to avoid funding poor performing projects. Um, and also local authorities do need a they're looking for a, a tool to enforce reductions within their areas, basically. Okay. So that's obviously quite a large scope. Who's been the biggest client so far for your business? Yeah, so the largest client that we've had so far is a company called um, Logistics Capital Partners, and they have recently completed a, a large project for Amazon in, in Italy, about 200 million euros uh, in, in project value. So what we did was employ that same process. So uh, we worked with external consultants to do risk compliant whole life carbon assessment. That assessment was peer-reviewed by another consultant. And then the upfront emissions were offset using um, gold standard offsets. And we basically said this project has been certified as carbon neutral at the point of, of practical completion. Why do you think embodied carbon has been ignored for so long? I think it's just been a lot easier to focus on energy. You get an energy bill every month. Energy has an ongoing cost element with it. So, so when I was initially involved with doing energy efficiency programs in Asia, it was all about you know, how do we just reduce cost related to, to energy consumption. So I think from an ongoing consumption point of view, that was the easy thing to point at. You know, your lights are on, they're visible. You know, you know when your aircon is too cold. But, you know, it's, a, it's something that's a lot more visible than, than the embodied carbon. I think the importance of benchmarks can't be underestimated, the the importance of industry-wide transparent benchmarks, because I don't think that people have really understood what good looks like and and what bad looks like in terms of embodied carbon. You know, when Tom and I first started talking, he said to me, look, I could build a house, could, as extreme example, could fly all the components in from coal-fired factories and on the other side of the world and build the most energy-efficient house and I would be lauded, you know, I'd win awards for having, you know, the most energy efficient house. Um, but no one would even look at the at the embodied carbon in the supply chain because essentially it just seemed too difficult. And, and I think those two points, visibility and just basically being too difficult, I think that's why embodied carbon has been ignored for so long. I love the examples that you've given us. Obviously, for the built environment, it is quite a shocking figure, and that accounts for almost 40% of global carbon emissions. How serious do you think, Gilbert, those in the sector are about doing their bit for the environment? And one thing extra is whether they are serious, and do they have a choice at this stage? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's easy to point the finger at the construction industry and say, you know, these, you know, bad construction industry people you know emitting 40 percent, but the people aren't inherently bad i think people just operate within the the market that that they're in and there hasn't been a focus on embodied carbon and there hasn't been any drivers of people asking questions about that up until the last couple of years so that will change as transparency 
of of firstly of benchmarks around body carbon, and also around energy efficiency, around actual data. So, I think you know developers will will react to the market, and whether it's tenants requesting lower embodied carbon tenancies or more energy efficient tenancies, you know those benchmarks they become more readily available and people become more educated about about these two issues developers will react because what you'll see is is some developers jumping on on the curve uh, early and and managing to secure the the top tenants and the top acquirers and then some developers will, will just not and, and they'll they'll need to be carried up by legislation ultimately um, and you can see that with the the part Z movement um, to, to, to regulate foreign body emissions. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it needs to be led by the market. I worked in, um, in Australia for a long time and, and saw neighbours firsthand. It was based on real data. So it was based on your annual energy bills and it gave your building and your tenancy a star rating based on actual performance in the last 12 months. So you had a five, now it's six star rating based on your previous 12 months of energy use compared to similar assets. And so everyone could understand that. And what happened was it basically neighbors got 40% voluntary uptake in, in the Australian market. The government came in and said, well, as one of the largest tenants, we're not going to take space unless it's got four stars or more neighbors rating. Of course, all the large corporates who were taking space in office buildings said said the same thing. They said, well, we, we're not going to take space unless it's five-star neighbors rated or, or more. So then you've got all the landlords jumping to try and make their buildings more energy efficient. We haven't seen that yet in the UK, but that is that is coming. And that transparency of real-world data in energy consumption will drive landlords to become more energy efficient. And there's a huge challenge there. There's a huge challenge. If you look at some of the data coming out of the Better Buildings Partnership, there's, there's, there's a lot coming there. In the same way, Letty have published their benchmarks, and there's, there's a lot of alignment around those benchmarks. And... In the same way, and body carbon will, will be published and compared to peers. And I think there's a lot of talk about whole life carbon, but the beauty of, of Neighbours uh, and, and Letty, I think, is that there's a recognition there that, that developers about what emissions do you have control over. You have control over you know, taking the site from a, a greenfield or, or if it's a refurbishment, fit out to your completed product. And then Normally, at that point, at the point of practical completion, that is sold to another asset owner. And I think that transparency around that part of the ownership for developers is coming, and it's coming pretty quickly. And the work that Letty has done in this area has been quite remarkable, to be honest, I think. So, yeah, I think it's it's this very interesting time, and developers are reacting to the market, and the market hasn't really known what to do about it. So, now with transparent benchmarks, the market does know what to do about it because they can just say, look, we want to have, you know, whether it's neighbors five stars more or whether it's Letty, you want to be, you know, B or above and on the Letty benchmarks. And it needs to be as simple as that so that anyone can understand it. Because I think that as an industry, we are often guilty of, of trying to overcomplicate these things. And, and that doesn't affect mass change, really. If you've got consultant saying, you know, has to be a whole life carbon assessment and you have to think about it from cradle to grave. Yes, you do have to think about it from cradle to grave, but 
ultimately the energy efficiency of the asset when it goes into operation is going to be largely in the control of whoever owns that asset. The developer is going to have much less control over that. So it's considering the whole life carbon, but actually thinking about who has the ownership of, of which part of the supply chain in terms of the emissions. I do think it will change quite quickly in terms of uh, tenant requirements. There's so much momentum around this issue. I think it'll, it'll happen with embodied carbon as well. Now, what would your reaction be, Gilbert, if somebody was to suggest to you that in the UK we're moving from greenwashing to genuine transparency quite rapidly. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. It, like you say, it is happening quite rapidly, transparency in the built environment. And, and this is something that, you know, it, it has kind of wound me up for years and that without publicly available benchmarks and reporting, how do you know whether a building's good or bad? You know, for example, when you buy appliances, you've got ratings to say how energy efficient your fridge is. Why not on buildings? I guess if people really understood the level of waste that goes on, they would be appalled. But it's not it's not visible, so nobody really is, is jumping up and down about it. Um, but but transparency is coming, and that, that will be a double-edged sword, so that there'll be some developers that jump onto it and, and understand the importance of reducing their overall uh, carbon footprint, their body carbon and operational carbon. And they will be well ahead of the pack. And then some that, that will just wait until legislation come along. There's a lot of talk within the industry of, of and I haven't heard this previous to probably this year, of stranding of assets. And I'm like, well, that, that that's something that, you know, you hear about when people talk about unviable power generating assets, stranding assets. But there is talk about the stranding of real estate assets. And I think those terms really make investors nervous, particularly when you think about real estate and how long-term some of these decisions are made. So, for example, you've got a master plan that's being redeveloped and it's, you've got a five, eight-year sort of time horizon. You, you've, done, you've acquired the land. You've got to get all your permits in place. You've got this whole eight-year time horizon of, you know, you've done all your feasibility studies and you're costing based on all these assumptions. And then these transparency requirements come into the market and then all of a sudden you've got to factor in carbon into that those decisions. It's it's a major challenge for developers. It it, it doesn't need to be that scary, you know, if the people are onto it now then they can understand where they're at and what the options are. Um, and, and the market will drive progress here. You know, for someone who's worked in sustainability for the last sort of twelve years, it's 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 quite an exciting time to be here because a lot of times you've feel like you're jumping up and down and no one's listening and now everybody's listening and it's great. Do you envisage the industry finally becoming properly regulated? Yeah, and I, I, I do. And I think, you know, we've had some discussions with some government departments about this and their view is very much they would like the industry to take the lead on this. And I think that's really the only way this can happen in a, in a whole scale manner is that Industry takes a lead, say with neighbours, once 40% of the offices are rated, then it's, then it's easy for the government to come in and say, well, now it has to be 100%. I mean, the government could come in with a, a more heavy-handed approach, but I think combination of carrot and stick is, is always good. And the more that developers can be on board, I think the developers really just want to have a level playing field in terms of they all want to be scored in the same way. As long as everyone's playing to, to the same rules, then it's it's not really an issue. Where it becomes 
slightly difficult is where you've got some developers who are really trying to push the boat out and become really carbon efficient, but there's no real mechanism for them for that all that effort and and cost to be recognized in in higher asset value. And and that's that's where the challenge comes. Transparency around benchmarks and and scoring of carbon efficiency is definitely in the way forward. And then then it makes it much easier for the government. They're just they're just bringing up the tail rather than the whole market. Uh, finally, Gilbert, a big picture question: What does the future hold for construction carbon? Do you think? Ultimately, uh, we want to be the leading standard for for anyone doing a development project. So whether you're doing a, an extension to your house or you're doing a medium-sized project or even a very large project, we want the process to be as accessible as possible for anyone so that you can understand the carbon impact, make better choices around material selection, and then offset credibly in, in, in line with leading international standards. And then importantly, have a forum for publicizing those results. That's what we want to be, and that's that's our mission, is just to help anyone doing construction project to go through that process. And thanks to Gilbert, and that's all from Constructive Voices for this episode. We'll be back next time with more insights and discussion about how things are moving forward in the construction industry. Click subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to ensure you get these episodes automatically, and find out more at constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. You can also follow us on social media. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Music